So as I already mentioned, we're starting this brand new series um, here at the river called The Gift of Winter. And um, it's an Advent series. Um, Advent is this 40 days that, that uh, come before Christmas in which we think about and we prepare for the miracle of Christmas, our hearts and our spirits. Um, so you might be wondering, why winter? Uh, why do you want to preach about winter? And um, well, uh, there's a lot of reasons, and I'm going to get to it, but since this is the first message in this series, let me just start with a few facts about winter that you may not be aware of. So I did some, some crack research this week, and um, here's a couple things that you may not know. Um, according to the Guinness World Record, on January 28, 1887, a snowflake 15 inches wide and 8 inches thick fell in Fort Keogh, Montana, making it the large snow, largest snowflake ever observed. Now, how they know this, I have no idea, all right? But can you imagine getting hit by something that large? I mean, it'd kill you, wouldn't it? My goodness. Every, will, every winter, at least one septillion, that's one followed by 24-0 snow crystals, fall, fall from the sky. Again, how do they know this? Is there somebody counting? Right? I, I, I don't get it. But apparently that's how much snow falls from the sky. The average snowflake falls about three miles per hour. Okay, three miles per hour, in case you wanted to know. The largest recorded snowman ever built was in Bethel, Maine in February 1999, not too long ago. The hunt, uh, get this, the 113-foot, 7-inch snowman broke the previous record held by uh, some city in Japan at 96 feet and 7 inches. It kind of reminded me of this guy. Remember this guy from the Ghostbusters movie? That's probably how big that snowman was. Can you imagine that? I mean, put that in your backyard. All right, um, Mount Baker Ski Area holds the world record for snowfall at 1,140 inches of snow during the 1998-1999 winter season. I was in Abbotsford, which is right close to Mount Baker, and I remember that. And here's one of the pictures. This is how much they had to, like, pack up the snow to get through the roads that year. It was ridiculous. So, world record. Um, coldest temperature ever recorded was 123 degrees Celsius at the Vostok station in Antarctica in Antarctica in 1983. That's cold. Okay, you thought this morning was cold? 123, yay, yay. The most common birthday in North America is September 16th, which means that most babies are conceived during the early winter holiday season. And we're in that season right now, right? Just saying, just saying. Could have another baptism fairly soon. Um, the Disney movie Frozen 2013 is the highest grossing animated musical film of all time and the ninth highest grossing film of all time with a worldwide box office gross of $1 billion. Wow. All right. People love winter, I guess, eh? The volcanic eruption of Indonesia, Mount Tambora, in April 1815 created a year without summer in the northern hemisphere. Can you imagine that? Right? So... Summer just never came. That would be extremely depressing. Finally, the last thing I want you to know, get this, the definition of a blizzard is when visibility is reduced to one quarter of a mile and the winds are 35 miles per hour or more. And the storm must last for three hours. So uh, in case you ever want to kind of win a trivia contest, you can pull that out, all right? Because you know the actual definition of a snowstorm as opposed to just um, a squall or something like that. So, fun facts about winter. 
winter. This season that, well, let's be honest, nobody loves. Okay, there's a few people out there who go, I love winter, but let's be honest, they're crazy, all right? Nobody, nobody really loves winter. I mean, the snow, the ice, the traffic jams, the cold, the cold, right? Sharon once said to me, ever since we moved to Edmonton, she's been cold, right? I mean, how many of you love, just love getting up in the morning and having to shovel your driveway? Not. How many of you love slipping on the ice, which inevitably happens from time to time, right, in this climate, right? And you inevitably get hurt, right? No fun. I mean, how many of you enjoy a little frostbite every now and then, huh? Isn't that great? And in Edmonton, let's be honest, it's not just the reality of winter, it's the length of winter. I mean, everybody here says what? They says any snowstorm or snow that falls after Halloween basically stays, right? And it stays, and it stays. I was at a uh, meeting this week uh, with Victor, who is our church planting guy. He leads uh, Mosaic House. And he was reminding me of this story of when he first came, he came in May to examine, uh, he was coming from Michigan to examine whether the Lord was calling him to Edmonton. And he said, and there was snow on the ground in May, but he still came in obedience to God's call. Obviously, you know that was the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Nobody likes winter. But here's the thing. There are things that we learn in winter that we can't learn anywhere else. Winter is about waiting. Winter is about patience. Winter is about dormancy and rest. Winter is about things dying but coming back to life again. Winter is about recognizing loss but also also embracing hope that spring will come, that it won't always be winter, that one day the flowers will bloom again. And that's what this series is all about. And um, I wanted to start by apologizing in advance um, just for um, my own emotions during this series. Um, Sharon and I are going through some things right now. We're in a kind of a winter of sorts, and that might just bleed into, into some of these messages. Um, I know uh, we're both a bit fragile right now, um, but as I've always said, uh, here at the river, we're not trying to be perfect uh, or put together. We're trying to be authentic. Um, so buckle your seatbelts. One of the passages that um, really I started thinking about in conjunction with this particular message series um, was a passage in Isaiah 9. And um, it's a passage I'm guessing most of you are fairly familiar with. And if not, then just listen to the words of this amazing prophet. Right? And, he's, and he's looking out into the future and he's, he's seeing the coming of, of Christmas and what it means. He writes this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, 
Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now I want to go back to the very first part of that passage. The people walking in darkness. I mean, we have to stop there for just, just a few minutes because there's a part of us that wants to just jump ahead to the end, right? To the good part, to, to, to the hopeful part, to the Christmas part. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Maybe we shouldn't talk about the darkness, right? Let's just focus on the light. But our experience of darkness, of winter, is all too real, You know, one of the things that we don't appreciate about Isaiah 9 is how long the people of Israel had to walk in darkness. Not just during the time in which Isaiah prophesied, which involved Israel's exile to Babylon, but but what was to come. The last book of the Old Testament is the the prophet Malachi, right? Now between when, when he was writing his prophecy, and Daniel was actually written around the same time as that, between when that prophetic word ended and Jesus actually arrived on the scene, it was over 400 years. Can you imagine that? 400 years of winter. I mean, there's some apocryphal writings in that period, but essentially think about this. No word from the Lord No prophetic voice, no encouragement from above, no nothing, just silence, just winter. Have you ever been there? In winter? Maybe you're there right now. The winter of depression. The winter of a broken family. The winter of a business gone bust. The winter of love unrequited. The winter of cancer. The winter of death. And sometimes it feels like it's going to last for 400 years. If you ever want to read some of the Christmas songs um, recorded in the Bible, you need to go to, to Luke 1. And there's some beautiful Christmas songs that are, are, are recorded there. One is sung by, by Zechariah as he prophesies about, about this promise that God has made and, and, and the coming Messiah. And then there's Mary's Magnificat, right? And, and if you read the, these, these songs, and I read them this week, they're so beautiful and emotional, but part of the dynamic of, of what makes them so beautiful and emotional is that they both are like, finally, After all these years of waiting, we've been waiting so long. Winter has been so long, but now finally, God is speaking again. The Messiah is on the way. Now here's the thing. And this is, I think, part of the purpose of winter in our lives You'll never know how beautiful and how wonderful the light is until you've spent some time in the darkness. Or said in the context of this series, you'll never know how wonderful spring is 
unless you spend some time in winter. See, here's the truth. There are things that we can only learn in winter, spiritual lessons that you can't learn in any other season. And, and this is why I've entitled this series not just winter, but the gift of winter. Because once you recognize this reality, you can learn to give thanks for winter. You really can. And I want to talk about three things that, that we can learn this morning in the season of winter. Things that God can, can really do in our hearts during this kind of season. And the first one is this, authenticity. Authenticity. Uh, a friend of mine uh, loves to tell this story. Um, he had some experience with winter growing up because he grew up in the Midwest, but he moved to California, and he actually married a gal from there. And she basically had never been out of the state, right? And so she really didn't have any experience of winter. Well, God called them to Bismarck, Nebraska, all right? And for some reason, they decided to move in January, well, this poor gal, it was just a shock to her system, right? She'd never, never been in this kind of, like, real winter before. I mean, California gets a little chilly, but let's be honest. They don't really know what winter is. Not like us, right? So Bismarck, Montana, and she's driving around for the first couple of weeks, and, and finally she says to her husband, why doesn't anybody cut down the dead trees around here? All the trees are dead. Nobody's doing anything. They all just let them sit on their front lawns. It's like a nuclear something or other, right? He had to explain to her, you see, honey, in winter here, trees go dormant, right? Yeah. Of course, you know, we know that because we live in this climate that, that the trees around us aren't dead, right, but just dormant. But if the truth be told, the barrenness of a tree in winter can be quite startling, right? Because without its, its garment of leaves, every, every defect the tree has is exposed. What's more, there's, there's no fruit, right? The tree isn't producing anything of, of value. It's just standing there as if dead. You know, when we go through a spiritual winter, one of the things that happens is that, is that we are exposed, right? It, it becomes painfully clear when we're going through a winter that we have nothing of value to bring to the Lord. We, we are producing nothing. Now, if you've been coming to church for a while, you, you've probably heard someone talk about grace, that we're saved by grace and, and by grace alone, right? And, and that's true. Ephesians 2 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. But, but, but if, if the truth be told, one of the easiest traps that, that we can fall into is trying to earn our worth before the Lord. We're like, well, of course, we're, we're saved by grace, 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 and nothing but grace, but, but there's other people that probably need grace just a little bit more than me, right? Because, well, I'm competent. I'm fruitful. I'm a leader. I can bring game, Right? But then we suddenly find ourselves in a spiritual winter and we've got nothing to bring. We've got, we've got nothing to give. And suddenly all of our weaknesses are exposed. All of our broken branches 
are available for everyone to see. And in that moment, one of two things can happen. Either we'll run from God, and like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we'll, we'll try to cover our nakedness ourselves, right? Or, or we'll learn some lessons about authenticity and humility. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Jesus is speaking directly to a church in a city called Laodicea. And this is what he has to say to that church. And it's a word of rebuke and discipline because they've kind of strayed from from what Jesus originally called them to be. Jesus says this to them. He says, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now Jesus' words aren't just for the church in Laodicea. These are words that he speaks to us as well. And notice the image that Jesus uses. He says, I'm I'm, I'm standing at the door. I'm waiting to come in and to be with you. I'm waiting to eat with you, which was an act of intimacy in in the New Testament, right? So, So in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm waiting to come into your heart, into your life, if you'll let me, if you'll embrace me, if you'll allow me to be intimate with you. Now, now maybe when we're in a spiritual summer and there are leaves to hide our nakedness and fruit to impress Jesus with, we're like, hey, sure, come on in. But in winter, the, the truth about us is exposed. That we actually are what Jesus says we are. See, understand, Jesus is not trying to shame us by saying these words. He's basically trying to get us to understand our own spiritual condition before the Lord. That as much as we think we have something to offer God, we really don't. And that as much as we try to to cover ourselves and cover our own shame and our own sin and our own problems, the only solution that that will really make a difference is to let God clothe us. It's to let God cover us. It's to let Jesus give us salve for our eyes so we can actually begin to live up to our human potential. You know, the Lord has really been teaching um, me some of these hard lessons lately. As I mentioned, lately I found myself in a winter of sorts, and I have to tell you, I don't like it. Nobody likes winter. But instead of trying to run and hide or trying to cover my own shame, I'm trying to let Jesus through the power of community and the the power of the cross to teach me humility. Instead of trying to cover myself, I'm trying to let him cover me. How about you? Are you going through a spiritual winter? It's no fun, is it? It's cold and it's lonely, but listen, listen, don't run and hide. Don't try to cover yourself. Learn this lesson that you can learn only in this season. 
that it's God who needs to cover you. That it's God who needs to come and cover you with his love and his grace. That's the only way. Second lesson that we can learn in the winter season. Patience. Patience. Let me ask you a question. How do you, how do you feel about waiting? Do you enjoy a nice long wait? I, I, I don't like to wait. I don't like it when I call a business and they put me on hold. I don't like it when I have to stand in line. Well, pretty much for anything, really, right? Like at the grocery store, right? I'm like, oh, please, can you write the check just a little faster, right? If you're really sick, you go into one line and then you keep track of who you would have been in another line, right? <laughs> And you're, sort of, and you're sort of mentally pressuring the people in front of you to, to get through the line, right? And if, you, if they get through the line before you do, it's like, ah, oh, I lost, right? I don't like being at a stoplight sitting behind an accelerator-challenged driver when the light turns green, especially when I'm late. Why does it take people so long to turn left on an advanced green signal? I don't like it when I pull into a gas station, Costco, and all the pumps are occupied and I have to wait for somebody to pull away. Anybody here with me? Yeah, okay. Now, of course, in the big scope of things, what I just mentioned are fairly mundane kinds of waiting. And yes, yes, we get irritated, but we, we put up with them because, well, well, we have to, right? But there are other more, more serious and, and difficult kinds of waiting, right? That there's the waiting of a single person to see if God might have marriage in store for them. There's the waiting of a, of a childless couple who desperately wants to start a family and to experience what the slum family experienced this morning, but, but day after day, week after week, the prayer goes unanswered. There's the waiting of somebody who longs to have work that's meaningful and significant and, and seems you know, seems to matter, but it just doesn't happen. There's the waiting of, of a deeply depressed person for a morning when he or she will wake up and they'll want to live. But that morning just never seems to come. There's, there's the waiting of an elderly senior citizen in a nursing home, all alone, health gone, who just seems to be waiting to die. You know, yesterday we had a, a staff retreat, and it, and it was really good. We had a chance just to go around the circle, and, and each person kind of shared their, their um, just what was going on with them personally, and then what was going on ministry-wise, and then we just had them sit on what we called the chair of mercy, right? It was a white chair, and we had a chance to gather around them, lay hands on them, and pray for them. And as we went around the circle, it became pretty clear that that while some of us are, are in a, on a wonderful season, uh, some of us are in a real winter season, right? And, um, and there were some prayers that, that we prayed and some pleading that we, that we did, but, but this, this waiting, right? And, and, and trying to understand why, why is God making me wait for this thing that I so clearly and obviously need in my life? Luce Meads puts it like this. Waiting is our destiny. 
as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We wait in darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. Waiting is the hardest work of hope. And then there, there's, this, there's this strange thing for us who are Christ followers. When we turn to the Bible, we're assured over and over again that God himself, who is all-powerful and all-wise and, and all-loving, keeps saying to people over and over again, wait. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The psalmist goes on, wait for the Lord and keep to his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. God comes to Abraham, and Abraham is 75 years old, and God says, Abraham, you're going to become a father. Yay! You will be the ancestor of a great nation, but it won't happen today, and it won't happen tomorrow. You know how long it was that he had to wait for that promise to come true? 25 years. Now, you think about being 75 years old and being told that you're about to become a parent, and you have to wait 25 years for that to come about. God told Israel as people that they would be a nation, that they would be able to leave the slavery of Egypt and be independent. And then they had to wait 400 years in slavery for that to happen. And then, and then God told Moses he was going to lead his people to the promised land, but before that they had to go to the wilderness and wait 40 years. And the obvious question is, why does God make us wait? If he can do anything and he's all loving, why doesn't he bring relief and help and answers now, today, when I need them? Why do we have to go all the way through the winter to get to spring? Well, part of the answer is this. I don't know. I don't know. But I also believe that a guy by the name of Ben Patterson is right. He said that what God does in us while we wait is in, fact, is, is in fact as important as what it is that we are waiting for, right? Paul says while we're waiting for God to set everything right, we suffer. But suffering, he writes, produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. God is producing these qualities in us while we wait, and what that means is that biblically waiting is not just something that we have to do until we get what we want, but waiting is part of the process of God making us what we need to become. You know, it's, it's no accident that Christmas comes in winter because winter is a time of waiting. And, and I'm going to say more about that next week, but it's, it's exactly... When, when we think that it will always be winter and never Christmas, remember that line from, from C.S. Lewis, right? Always winter but never Christmas. It's right then in that moment when, when everything looks lost that suddenly hope emerges. That suddenly God does something amazing. But even then, think about this at Christmas time. And, and the song reflected this that Janessa sang this morning. He could save us in a second. Instead, he said, sent a baby. 
who then lived in obscurity for 33 years before finally this great light began to shine. Are you in a season of winter? Is God saying to you, wait? We don't like waiting. Start to ask yourself this question. Instead of asking, why, God, why don't you answer my, my prayers? What, what? Start asking the question, God, what are, you, what are you teaching me? What do I need to learn about faith? About actually putting my hope in you? What do you need to do to my character during this season of winter where I'm all exposed See what happens. Because God is doing something in you. God's working on you. He's working on me. Nobody likes winter. But it's only in winter that we learn these lessons. The final one is this. And it kind of goes hand in hand with what I just talked about. The final one is trust. You know, God showed up in my life um, in a bunch of ways this week. Um, and I needed him too. As I mentioned, um, you know, we're kind of in this wintry season. And, and just so you know, so don't get too crazy, it has to do with, uh, with our family and some of the, the, the brokenness that we're experiencing in our greater family. And it's, it's, it's really hard um, to go through. And it's, it's, it's leaving its mark on us. Um, but last Sunday, Martin, who was up here earlier, uh, came to me while we were doing Christmas with Style, and he said, Bruce, um, God has been laying Psalm 40 on my heart all week long for you. And he says, I don't normally do this because I'm not a touchy-feely guy, right? But he says, I, just, I, just, I want you to know this. I want you to, to know that, you know, I want you to read Psalm 40 this week because I really think God has something for you in Psalm 40. And I said, okay. And so... Um, on Tuesday morning, we had a staff meeting, and I said, I'm going to read Psalm 40, and I, I couldn't even make it through. <laughs> uh, I had to ask one of the staff people to finish, because God really spoke to me through that, that psalm, and I've been reading it every day since. And then um, on Tuesday, uh, Sharon went for prayer, because some wonderful gals said, we want, we want to pray for you. They, they know what she's going through. And, um, and Anne, who... Uh, is a pastor at Mosaic House. Uh, she said, Sharon, God has been laying a particular psalm in my heart that I want to share for you. It's, it's, I believe it's a psalm for you during this season of your life. It's Psalm 40. And we hadn't talked. And so she came home and said that. And I said, no way, right? And that was just a little kind of a, a way of God saying, hey, I hear you. I see you. And then uh, another cool thing happened um, on Wednesday. Um, the pastors of the CRC, they wanted to have kind of a conversation with, with church planters and church planters with pastors. And the idea was, was to kind of uh, to see how we could work together better, right? And just um, to have this, these, these conversations and, and to be supportive of each other in a significant way. And, uh, and some, some stuff was shared and, and there was some good stuff and some hard stuff that we had to work our way through and we had a, I mean, the place was packed 
Um, pretty much all the pastors were there. And then Tom Baird, who led through this, uh, he said, um, Bruce, I, I want you to share what you shared with me previously because I really think that you need to, to share this. And, um, and so I said, well, okay. Um, and it had to do with something that happened when Sharon and I first came to, to Edmonton. We came here and we moved from Abbotsford to plant this church and it was a cold start in, in, in all kinds of different ways, all right? And um, I had actually went to classes and, and, and said, okay, here's the vision for what we're gonna do in terms of planting uh, not just the river but also other churches and uh, they said, okay, um, but they didn't do so with a kind of enthusiasm. It was more like, okay, if you really want to do this. And at that time, um, nobody even prayed for me or for the ministry. And it just really struck me, and it, and it, it, it kind of wounded me a little bit. And I mean, I got over it, but uh, that wound was always kind of there. And, and now fast forward, we, we just uh, launched out a church in Fort Saskatchewan and Ryan Petey, he was at classes, he was at that meeting and, and, and the whole group of us that all came up and laid hands on him and prayed for him and, and um, man, it was a powerful thing. I thought, and I remember back, I said, we've come a long way. There's a passion to reach people that's emerging here at Edmonton. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I shared that story, and I didn't, I just shared it as kind of like, hey, you know, uh, we got to make sure to pray for our church planners, because we need prayers. We, we, I mean, we're out on the front lines here, and, um, and so Tom said, you know what, because um, the, the whole, they all felt so bad, and they said, Bruce, we want you to stand in the middle, we want to lay hands on you, and we want to give you the prayer that you never got however many years ago. And it was a powerful thing. It felt like we were making just an incredible spiritual breakthrough, right? That, that the walls that had been erected, that some hard feelings that had been, had been different folks had had over the years, that those things just got broken in that moment. And I found out later on that Tom, Tom Baird from Bethel CRC, it's one of our sister churches here in town, had his whole prayer team up early and they prayed, they were praying for this particular meeting because they just felt in their hearts that, that, that something was going to happen, that a spiritual breakthrough needed to take place, and it was an awesome thing. And as I drove home from that, I thought to myself, thank you. Nineteen years. In that little tiny pocket of winter in your life, and suddenly, spring, You see, that's, that's God showing up when we least expect it. And in the meantime, in the meantime, we have to move forward and trust, trusting that, that, that his love and his mercy and his grace are going to show up when we most need it. Can I just say this? As much as you think you're in control of your life, you're not. And, and there's so much more going on. So instead of praying, God, give me what I want and give it to me now, start praying, God, give me what's best for me. And God, give me what's best for your kingdom. And I'll trust you with the outcome.
It's the season of Advent. It's the season of waiting. This time when we remember the coming of Jesus, are you willing to be authentic? As hard as that might be. Are you willing to be patient? As hard as that might be. Are you willing to trust? As hard as that might be. I can't tell you when the winter will end. Whatever winter you're going through. But I can tell you this. Because I know the Father and I know Jesus whom we serve. The spring that's coming will be worth it. Let's pray. Father, we don't like winter. We don't like these seasons in which we feel out of control, where there's these gaps in our lives, these holes in our hearts, these, these things that are, are going on, these problems that we can't fix in our own lives, in our own family, all sorts of things. Lord, we don't like it. And our culture trains us to get what we want and to get it now. But we know that there are things that you can teach us in winter that you can't teach us anywhere else. And so we want to thank you for the season of winter. We want to thank you for, for burying us sometimes so that we can grow afresh in a new way. Show us what you want us to become not what we want to become. Show us your mercy and grace to the gift of winter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? I'm going to bless you as you go this morning. And what we do here at the river is we, if you're comfortable, just extend your hands this way to receive the blessing of the Lord. It's just a posture of receiving from God. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you may he be gracious to you especially in winter may he turn his face towards you and give you his peace and all God's children said amen